Are you a first-time real estate investor trying to structure that right JV joint venture deal but maybe can't get access to a mortgage or perhaps you don't have the funds? Well, in this episode, we do a deep dive with Riley Oikel discussing how to be creative in structuring your first joint venture deal with no money. Have a listen. Hey, what's going on, everyone? You got the 7-2 Real Estate Investor here with a great guest. I'm happy to have him here, which is Riley Oichel. So Riley is uh, someone I met, ooh, I met him at actually, face-to-face was actually at a, at a Red Club meeting, actually. And I think that was in, was it November of 2019? And um, great to, you know, they had that initial conversation. And I know you're doing some amazing things. Uh, we, you know, I have a coach, Corey McKinnon. And I know you're one of his mentees, so I thought it was fitting to have you on. And and I, I just ask away. I have a, I have a bunch of questions i got to ask you. So, Riley, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Here. No problem, man. So um, so before we get to the whole real estate side, because uh, that's what everybody wants to hear, and we'll get there for sure, um, you know, i, I got to ask the question. You know, you didn't have a real estate background, but then you opted to become a mentee of, of, of an amazing, you know, real estate mogul in, in, our, in our neck of the woods, uh, Corey McKinnon. How did that come to fruition? I guess, yeah, looking in, in kind of hindsight where it all kind of sparked and, and had been created was, uh, you know, I, I knew Corey through the previous organization that we both worked for. And he was one of the one individuals that I always looked up to and like aspired to be like. And honestly, like looking back, it was just knowing that from a young age, like he actually started to do uh, coaching for other people and mentoring, and then slowly kind of integrated that into doing real estate investing and started around the age of like 30, 31. And by 40, 45, he was ready to retire. And it was just interesting to me. He was one of the only people I ever knew that was able to do that at such, in such a rapid pace, you know, within 10, 15 years. And so it was interesting. And then I, I, you know, obviously I follow him and we were connecting whatever on Facebook or social media. And he made a post around like looking for someone to be his, his right hand man, so to say. And I reached out to him and we connected and we kind of hit it off because we have a lot of similar values as well. And, and, um, kind of life, life passions in a way. So health and nutrition would be like one of the main things that we like to focus on. And, um, anyway, so long story short, it, you know, we've been working together now for a year and a half and he's just, just like one of those role models that, um, is more of like a whole life role model. It isn't just real estate investing, which that's something that really, for me, it really resonated because I was looking for someone that I could look up to, not just like for real estate investing, but also for like a family, right? I don't have a family yet, but de- definitely looking at having one in the future. And, um, you know, he manages his real estate empire with his four children and his wife, Lori, and um, does amazing, you know, in, in all the areas of his life, including health and fitness and stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess that's what resonated with me when I was looking at Corey as being my, my mentor. And yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive. What it's what it's like to try to keep up with a guy like uh, Corey, who's just such a high performer. So, um, so prior to that, like, I mean, let's let's talk about uh, let's get let's do a deep dive with Riley here. Like, where did 
where did you, where your upbringing, where did you come from? Because I know you're from the East Coast originally and um, made your way out to London, Ontario. So uh, let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, looking back, yeah, I guess at a very young age, um, yeah, so like you said, I grew up in Nova Scotia. It's like a very, very small town of like, um, actually it's a settlement, which is kind of hilarious. Um, you kind of think of horse and buggy when you think of settlements. Sure. And so there's like 500 people in the settlement um, and then you drive to town, it's about 20 minutes away and then that's like 2,000 people. And then you have to drive two hours to get to like the nearest city of like, you know, 300,000 or so. Wow. So um, transitioning from there to, I went to school at Western um, for a few years and, and I took kinesiology and business. Uh, it was just like, I guess a, a regular city person that's born in like, let's say like London, for example, where I live now, um, would be like moving to Tokyo or something. So it was a lot of growing pains to go through the adjustments and whatnot of living in, in a bigger city. Um, so that was kind of my, my let's say, upbringing. Um, definitely was like, you know, brought up in like a blue collar family. It was, um, you know, my dad ran a, uh, he runs like a water conditioning company. It's relatively small, um, just himself. But, and at the same time though, while growing up, I kind of watched him run that business and, and what I was able to provide for our family. And uh, he was able to have a lot of freedom and like autonomy. So I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was at the time, but I was definitely intrigued in like that kind of idea of like, oh, I'd like to work for myself one day. So I used to work at Sobeys and I hated the fact that when I made minimum wage or, or when I was working, if I worked harder, I'd still be making minimum wage, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone around me would be making, you know, maybe an extra dollar to an hour if they'd been there for 20 years as a, as a lifer is what I used mm -hmm. to call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it frustrated me because they'd be doing less and I'd be working my butt off to try to make more. So um, th then I, I started to uh, obviously like, get into debt through school and I was like, well, what am I going to do to make money? So I, uh, I had the idea of like running a whole maintenance company. Um, so it was just, just like, like host detailing, like anything that basically I could get my hands on to, to do to help people. That was very easy, right? It's not a professional trade when you're looking at home maintenance. So it was like window cleaning, uh, I did ease trough or gutter cleaning for people. I did pressure washing. And um, I started that in my second year of university after I kind of got my, my first year partying out of the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. and then I actually started hiring some people to help, help uh, do it with me. So after three years, we grew to 12 employees in London. And it was safe to say at that point, my kinesiology degree was kind of on the back burner. Mm -hmm. I was really focused on, you know, running this business. Sure. And then, uh, then the idea to me of like, you know, helping to coach other people kind of became interesting. And I had a few students approach me and, hey, like, how are you doing this? How, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and so I started to coach and mentor other students. So for the next uh, two to three years, like this is actually my last year doing it right now. I'm doing it kind of part time. Um, I, uh, I've coached over like 40, 45 students. It's been an amazing experience just to be able to like pass on some of this knowledge of how to, how to run your own business, a profitable business at that. And um, yeah, we did over $2 million in like three years, which was pretty cool for home maintenance. Mm -hmm. And it kind of migrated into, well, obviously like now I have some capital, where am I going to dissipate that to get the higher return? So I started to look at investing and, um, you know, looked at like obviously RRSPs or TFSAs and all these kind of mutual fund options. And nothing really interested me. Was that attractive? Um, stocks, I just don't want to look at a computer screen all day. I think that's kind of, I'd like to actually have a tangible item. So real estate popped up and then I knew Corey was in real estate and what he was able to do. So everything just became in alignment and uh, reached out to Corey and I guess the rest, like they say, is history. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
So why real estate though? Like what is it about real estate that interests you? I guess like the textbook answer is uh, obviously you have a bunch of different ways like uh, create money through real estate. So you have, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously like uh, equity uh, pay down. So you have like the mortgage pay down mm -hmm. uh, or equity build up. Sorry. Um, you have inflation. Um, and obviously like when you, when you sell the property as well, and there's lots of different ways that you can kind of control that asset too, which I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess like my answer is like, I actually like to control things that are in my investments. If I were to go and buy a stock, like I can't really control that stock. I can't walk into Apple's office and say, Hey, you know, uh, like, I guess this, whoever the CEO is, you know, like, let me, uh, let me like redo the system or something. I can't do that, but I can with my own asset here in real estate. Mm -hmm. So that's really what intrigued me. Yeah. Okay, cool. So going back to Corey McKinnon, um, uh, like the Corey McKinnon show. <laughs> um, so Corey, I mean, is very successful at what he does. And you talked about the holistic approach, anything he does, it, it's done to perfection. Like, I mean, guy's just a rock star. I mean, and he's a, a high performer. What's it like being coached or being a mentee on a day-to-day -day basis for someone that's a high performer like Corey? Great question. I, uh, it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's extremely overwhelming. Um, in the most positive way possible. Right. So to kind of follow behind like an animal like Corey, who's just an absolute monster now in the Southwestern, like Ontario real estate investing world. Um, you have like huge, huge, like huge shoes. Right. And my, my, my feet are like, you know, like baby's feet right now, like trying to like follow in these like dinosaur shoe prints. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and you feel like you're not it's just a drop in the bucket compared to what he's been able to accomplish and um and at the same time you just have to understand like all the little things make a difference so they will add up and it compounds um and just to, like stay focused i think is the biggest thing on like where your vision is and what, what you're going to be able to create and Corey helps a lot with like keeping me in alignment with you know i'm, I'm I guess quick background like i'm very low in terms of patience right so i'm like i need it now and the real estate game is totally the opposite. It's like you need to, it's a long-term play. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it almost seems like stocks might've been a better investment choice for me where it's like more immediate gratification. But real estate investing, obviously like I think is the better vehicle. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, it's, it's just, I think for, with Corey, um, being able to focus on the bigger picture, like what we're creating and, and knowing, yeah, for sure, like he, he's doing amazing. And, and at the same time, like, you know, at the same time, I can still help. Right. I can still make a big difference in what he's creating. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been, um, definitely a challenge, you know, to say the least and like following him, but, but definitely something that's quite fulfilling to just kind of watch what he's creating and be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So in working so closely with a high performer like that, do you find it's hard? Is a challenge hard to keep up or it, I mean, I'm not saying it's a challenge, but is it one of those things that's hard to keep up or is it the challenge being in that you're being constantly pushed? It's a little bit of both. Yeah. I would say definitely the, the trying to keep up part is, uh, it's challenging, right? Just like, um, you know, I used to run track competitively and okay. I remember like I was one of the best track athletes in my, my small town again, of like a few thousand people. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Nova Scotia or whatever for the provincials and I was pretty good there. And then we actually came to Ontario to start competing. We flew down to Florida and you're like dead last, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost, 
like like that right now where where I, I did so well in the whole maintenance and service industry and you kind of get up on your high horse and say, like, wow, that's amazing. And then you get into the real estate investing world and, and it's like, wow, like I, you know, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's really a humbling experience to be able to, to go through that. Mm-hmm. And so working with Corey, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's just humbling every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it, that's key for everyone. It's just to keep you grounded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a favorite quote of mine, your, your head's in the clouds and then your feet's on the ground. So um, he definitely keeps my feet on the ground in alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So when you were in track, were you what, what were you a long distance runner? Were you a, a sprinter? What type of track activities did you do? Yeah, I, I did middle distance. So it was. Uh, I guess if you're looking at a track, it's usually 400 meters. Okay. Outdoor, and then so I do one lap to two laps. Um, my, my favorite was the two lap one because I think it was the one lap one. You almost needed to be more talented with like just like being super quick, mm-hmm. and then lap one when you were doing 800 meters um it was definitely more of a mind game so i got to like learn how to embrace the grind right and just kind of uh go through that struggle like just the agony of like go, going around the track twice and it's a lot of fun i learned learned a lot about uh running like your own race and being like um you know like obviously an independent person because for track it's like sure there's a component that's like more of a team element but there's also more of like an individualistic component too and and I think I learned a lot about myself and being an entrepreneur through track because entrepreneurship is such an individualistic sport. So, mm-hmm. for sure, team component, right? Like you're, you're, you can be a lone wolf, but that will only get you so far. So, if you want to mm-hmm. go quick, kind of go alone, and if you want to go far, you got to go with a team. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the reason I ask that question is uh, because I mean, that's life, right? I mean, there it, it is. There is a race, but at the end of the day you know what, you can go sprint and you can burn out everything. I mean, you can't sprint a marathon, but at the same time, you can't run at marathon speed and do a hundred meter dash, right? So and a lot of it, a lot of it is mindset. And, um, and so what parallels have you seen? Like if you give me an example of what you've been doing now in your life's race compared to something running track, I mean, can you give me a parallel there from Certainly. a mindset perspective? Yeah. Um, I would say at the end of the day, like, the um, the race of um, you know life is more of a marathon than anything. You have to pace yourself, and um, yeah, like I remember when, when I went really really hard in the whole maintenance business for about six months. I burned out for three four weeks, and it was just the worst. Like just like you work so so hard, and you build up all this momentum, and then you, you know you can only go off for five or six hours of sleep so many nights in a row before you need to get like you know, four weeks of like good sleep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it, my, my mind could handle it, but my body couldn't. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of applies the same thing to the track. It was like, you know, like um, if you were just running around the track and, and sprinting every, you know, 50 meters, when you have two laps, well, you're going to burn out after 100 meters. So you really need to pace yourself. And, and I think after that burnout experience a few years ago, I, I certainly kind of understand now that um, when, when you're playing the game of business, it's more of a marathon for sure. And it isn't just a one-year marathon. It's 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 a whole life marathon, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I would say the exact same linearity would apply to every other area of your life, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just be a good father one day and then not a good father the next. It's like you know, it's a marathon. It's consistency too, uh, which kind of applies to kind of the the long-term game that we all play. Absolutely, you just said it right there. Consistency. You got to show up, and it's about consistency. 
And if you just do those two things, uh, you will excel, show up and, 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 and be consistent. So you got into the real estate game um, with your purchase of a property uh, would have been in April. So walk us through that. Because this is your first, this is your first income pr uh, producing property. Um, a very interesting, um, you know, uh, way of doing a joint venture. So let's, let's talk about this. Someone coming in at 24 years old, trying to get in their first property and the inner workings of, of creativity. Yeah, no, certainly. So I ended up doing a joint venture partnership. And I guess for those listening that may not understand what that is, it's basically when two people come together and they bring different skill sets into creating a deal. Um, kind of contrary to most popular belief, which like is one person buys real estate and that's their asset. It's like, well, no, you can really bring two people together to buy that asset too. And so um, the most common way to do it would be one person brings the money and then the other person would bring you know, the money and the mortgage uh, capability. Uh, and then the other person would bring in like the property management or, you know, for example, managing tenants, doing upkeep, maybe even the renovation, that type of stuff. They're, they're the active partner, the other person's more of a money partner. Um, so we kind of did a creative deal in my, my partner. It was, it was more, um, more towards like, um, well, we, we bought number one, like a turnkey property, which was uh, step one. There was less renovations to do, which was great. Um, and then as well, like one person brought the, the down payment and that same person does the property management, which is again, a little bit different. Uh, and then the other partner brought in like the mortgage capability. So it was definitely a creative deal. And I haven't heard of anyone doing that, but I'm sure that there's plenty of people that have, because there's so many different ways to do these partnerships. And I think that's what makes it kind of fascinating too. It isn't just a cookie cutter um, thing in real estate. Everything's so different and you know, it's overwhelming for sure. Um, with all the different options and the creativity that you can have when you're, when you're playing. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's really remarkable. And that's what I like about, uh, you know, deals like that. And you're right, there is a cookie cutter approach and there's really only two, you know, one way to do a joint venture agreement when it comes to real estate, which is a, a complete myth. A joint venture is basically when two or three or four or five, doesn't matter of uh, people come together or groups or co companies come together and it, they work out a mutually beneficial role within that joint venture. And, and that's how it rolls. Um, and I think, actually, I know that the structure that you laid out is really ideal for those that have access to money but can't necessarily get a mortgage at that given time, but they want to get their feet in. They want to jump in that water. And then relying on, you know, the individual that's going to be the money lender, or I should say the money lender, but the money partner, simply their role is to simply get the mortgage and that's it. Um, so I think that's a fascinating way for those that are listening or watching that if you're struggling with how I'm going to get my first income property, this is obviously a great, a great way to do it is if you have a line of credit, if you have access to funds, borrowing from friends, family, from whoever, whether it be OPM, just to get your, your foot in the door and, and, and then, you know, get in the game, number one, but two is start generating cash flow. Right. So exactly. It. So no, I, I think it hit a, a great point there. It's, it's really whatever you have is usually going to be enough and it's just a matter of making it work. Like for me, I had the money for the, for the deposit, but my income, um, like my, my income, I just couldn't get the mortgage capability that I needed to buy this, this larger asset mm -hmm. that actually had that mortgage capability. And so the deal was, Hey, I can manage it. I could bring in the money for the deposit. 
as long as you can get the mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. So it all really works out. Um, but yeah, I guess depending on whatever your situation is, like you can really make it work. Um, you know, maybe you don't have the money, maybe you don't have the, the money for the deposit, but you do have mortgage capability, or maybe you, you have property management experience or, or you have something that you can really provide for value. Um, and there's, there's an opportunity for a deal, whatever percentage that breakdown would be, you know, it was really up to you and your partner, but yeah. And that's, this is honestly an option I didn't know about a year and a half ago when I got started in all of this. And it's really opened up my eyes to just the possibility of like what you can do with this vehicle. And, um, cause I was thinking, yeah, like you need to make a few hundred thousand a year for this to be sustainable and for you to create an empire that you need, but that's not at all the truth. So. Absolutely, man. You know what? And it all comes down to, you know, bringing your unique abilities to the table. And that's what it comes down to. Um, I mean, I have JVs. I mean, I think I have a JV with one of my landscapers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you take care of this and I'll take care of that type of thing, right? So again, it's just, it just has to be mutually beneficial. So, uh, you know, just going back to, um, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes. So what would be your favorite book so far that you've read in relation to personal development slash real estate? That's a great question. Um, there's a ton of there, so it's, it's really overwhelming. Um, personal development, I guess, would have to be um, Way of the Superior Man is extremely good. And it actually ties in with Stefan Arnio's book, which is Hard Times Create Strong Men. So he refers to the Way of the Superior Man a few times in his book. And overall, the overarching kind of consensus there is, um, you know, like, uh, not to get too much in detail, but basically just how we as men um, definitely need to kind of kind of embrace the grind, let's say, and uh, for lack of a better term, almost man up, you know, and, and how the cycle of like hard times create strong men, strong men create good times and good times create weak men, weak men create bad times. And mm -hmm. um, I think if we're looking around right now in society, it's safe to say that um, the times are pretty good, but um, you know, it could get pretty bad really quick. So we need to be careful there and, and just definitely um, do more kind of uh, self-awareness checks too and just understand, hey, like what's our mission here? What's our purpose as, as humans? And um, yeah, it's, so anyway, I, that would be for sure my personal book. And then uh, for real estate, yeah, I would say um, obviously the classic Rich Dad Poor Dad was the gateway drug for me and um, that's an amazing book. And then for business, I would say The E-Myth. Um, which has to do with franchising and creating systems. And I'm a firm believer in systems and how systems kind of create freedom um, because you could have a real estate empire, like, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of doors or, you know, for example, we manage 60 doors in London. Some, some are mine, some are not. Um, and without systems, like you can't really plug and play or you mm -hmm. can't scale it up. So mm -hmm. um, everything on your back and then that obviously takes forever to do and you can't really gain that momentum that you need to be successful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, great point. So is, is that the E-Myth Revisited? Is that, that, is that the name of the book? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Michael, is it Michael Gerber? Okay. Like yeah, I have it on my list of books that are piling up. I keep on buying them because instead of saying I want to read it, I'll just buy it and I keep it on my thing, but I keep on buying yeah. more than I'm reading. So then I can catch up to There's only so much time in the day. So cool. So where do you see yourself in, uh, in 10 years? It's a tough question, man. I, uh, I don't really, you know, I, I've taken some time to think about that. And I look back on my last five years and, you know, coming into school at 18, I, um, 
you know, I, I totally had different priorities and a different vision. I didn't even have a vision, I don't think, for a year, you know, and it's, it's so amazing how, you know, and that was five years ago. So 10 years from now, you never really know. And I think Bill Gates, you know, he is, he is the famous quote of, like, um, within one year, um, you know, people overestimate what they can accomplish. So for their New Year's resolutions, for example, and in 10 years, you don't really, you know, people underestimate what they can accomplish. So again, it's that compounding effect that kind of adds up and then can help you accelerate. So, um, you know, so can you, can you, I'm going to say what I think I'll, I'll be doing. And then at the same time, it's going to be interesting to look back on this podcast in 10 years sure. and you really know. Yeah. But the current goal of mine within real estate, I guess, is I'm a big uh, renewable energy junkie. So I love sustainability and like the eco-friendly movement. And um, I'm actually creating my entire real estate platform off of that uh, for sustainability uh, because I, I feel like there may be an opportunity for us to be able to do flips or renovations more, more um, in a, like a sustainable way. And uh, I really want to have like a great like footprint, like after I leave, obviously, um, and, and just be able to create like these properties that are even net zero. So by the age of, you know, I'm, I'm 24 right now by 30, by 30, even 35, I want to have at least touched 100 net zero properties. So there's actually a subdivision in London that inspired me. It's called W5. And um, they, they use renewable energy and they, they, they use like low energy like uh, light bulbs, like LED light bulbs. And they have all these different technologies that they're implementing to make it net zero because it's off grid. So I'd love to be like a part of those constructions. And I have a few ideas and I actually, I can, I'm connecting with a friend right now that he wants to do a very similar thing and it just matched up perfectly. So that could be the future. It's just a matter of understanding the real estate game enough to be able to get to, you know, a hundred doors or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. so, For yeah, sure. That's a big mission of mine. Absolutely. Can you repeat that quotation for me? And I'll tell you why. The, uh, the Bill Gates one? Yes. Yeah. Um, what was it? W within one year, um, we under or we overestimate what we can accomplish. And within 10 years, you underestimate what you can accomplish. And the, reason I, and the reason I ask you to repeat that is the first time I heard that quote was yesterday on, I think I was uh, listening or watching Impact Theory uh, on YouTube and it was mentioned there. And then I heard it this morning on another, on, a, on an audible and hearing it together today. So yeah, you know what, before, four months ago, I thought this is all foo-foo with like signs in the world and that kind of stuff. So just to hear it again and you saying it there completely randomly is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it is weird. Eh? It's almost like the law of attraction kind of pulls yeah. in. Pulls in Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. And that's what Corey's, Corey's helped me out with a lot of that because I thought, is it just coincidence? Is it just coincidence? And you're just, he goes, no, I mean, when you just go to a different vibration level, you just attract and that's what happens. Um, and, um, it's, it's quite fascinating. The mind, the mind is so powerful. And I think I've read more books in the last three months than I read all through university. Right. <laughs> you know, so, and, 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 uh, and these books are, are life journey books. Like these are like books that doesn't matter what you're faced with, they're going to help you. My, uh, my pathophysiology book on respiratory care diseases, I mean, that I read back in the day, what's that going to do for me today, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, and there's a reason why, like, there's classic books, like, Think and Grow Rich, for example, 
I was made in what, like the 40s or something or the 30s? Yeah. And, and obviously it's been revised or updated or whatever, but overall I think like there's so many books that are just classics like uh, Thicken or, uh, oh, what's the one? Yeah, like anyway, there, there's there's a ton. Um, oh, how, how to Win Friends and Eat. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That's right. Yeah. That's an older one too. Like, you know, and, and they're just handed down from generation to generation. And I don't think that those books will ever go away. They're almost like the Bible for personal mm-hmm. development and becoming just, you know, an amazing human being. Absolutely. I, I just picked up uh, what I just received actually through Amazon, uh, As a Man Thinketh, uh, which is apparently supposed to be an amazing book. Again, that was written uh, around that time, time frame, I believe. And then, uh, Acres of Diamonds, and I think that's like from the late 1800s or something like that. So, so I, and one of the struggles I had with reading um, was I, I believe I have a, um, I believe I have attention deficit disorder because my brain's always just firing on all cylinders. So reading was always very difficult for me. So what could take someone an easy read would take me three or four times to read that same page. But then one of my uh, other coaches, Chris Root, he uh, mentioned that to him and he said, well, that's because he had the same issue and he's just a rock star himself. I mean, the guy sits with Grant Cardone and, and he said, here's a tip is have, when you're reading, have a dictionary with you. Because what happens sometimes is you're passing over a word that you don't know, but you're just reading over it and then everything just goes blank for you. So that's been a little trick I've been doing is now when there's a, uh, a word I don't know, I simply circle it, check on my dictionary and I reread it again. So that's helped me a lot. So should have listened to my teachers back in, uh, in elementary school. <laughs> So, well, I, I was t- actually speaking about this, this exact same thing with a friend the other day. And it, it's how, like, like I, I hated reading too. Like, I just, I didn't like it. I didn't understand the point of it. I wasn't that good at it anyway. So maybe that's why I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was just like, once, once I had that kind of vision of what I wanted to create myself in the next you know, couple of years or whatever, I, I feel like it just became an alignment. It's like a necessity. It's a prerequisite to have that. And so it, like reading it, you know, obviously, there you, it is almost obligated. Like you know, it's an obligation to to read some of these books and have that knowledge. And obviously, you can learn it through other people too. But I feel like this is a way faster way. It's like the spark notes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of how to be an amazing person and how to have an amazing life. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It really comes in. And you know, it's it, it's a good thing that we're going in this direction because I was going to talk to you about discipline because we're talking about reading and in reading is in for me personally is a non negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. I have to read every day at least 10 pages. That's, that's, and uh, so when we talk about discipline, morning routines are so important uh, just to get your day going. Do you have a morning routine? And if you do, you know, if you mind sharing. Certainly. So uh, usually the alarm goes off at six and uh, I get out of bed at maybe six or five. So, you know, a few minutes to just kind of open up my eyes, get ready. And uh, the first thing that I, I like to do is just get a big glass of water. And I usually go for a walk for about 15 minutes. So, so I'm just like drinking actually this guy right here. So it's a big, big old thing of water. Cause you wake up naturally dehydrated. So you want to get some water in your system. Um, I, I tend to wait from food until around noon. So I fast for the morning. I find it just kind of, kind of keeps me more alert um, in the morning. And um, I, I do like to do intermittent fasting once in a while. So it's a good, good way to kind of set up the morning. And, um, you know, every other day I'll go for like a run or something or do like a workout in the morning. Um, that's usually from like seven until seven thirty, And, uh, and then I'll do reading for about an hour. So I always read for an hour before I start my day. I think 
Like I won't even answer any phone calls or anything before nine. Like Corey may be calling me, my coach, nope, not answering. He knows that too. And he, he has the same thing. So we rarely talk before nine. Um, so, you know, obviously like that's kind of the morning routine. Um, yeah. And then after that, you kind of like jump into emails, you jump into phone calls and you kind of get all the flow, the, the kind of the, the constant things that pop up every single day, every work day, you get those out of the way around noon. And so that's usually the morning. Yeah. I find, it, I find it works well, and I have a few friends that have read uh, 5 a.m. Wake Up or 5 a.m. Club. I'd like to kind of start pushing it back a bit more and start the alarm for 5.45 and then start for 5.30 mm -hmm. and work, work in the next month, two months, to, to get it down to 5 a.m. Right. That's, that seems just insane right now, like, you know, just like a crazy thing. Sure. So my wake-up call, I wake up at 4.45. Wow. And I'm probably going to push it to 4.30 now. No way. And, um, and cause I, my mornings are so precious. That's me time. That's my time. And, uh, it's like your day, right? You want to have a nice smooth takeoff for the day. And then the day is the day. And then it's very important to have that smooth landing. Um, and I find without having that, that smooth takeoff, my day is just full of turbulence. It's true. It's like the power hour, you know, that's yeah. something that that's the reading, that's the drinking water, that's the, you know, doing some stretching or something. You need that mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. okay. So why intermittent fasting? Um, yeah, I guess like not to get into the whole health hacking side of things into too much detail, but um, basically when you, when you kind of fast your body for, you know, let's say 12 hours or so or however long, and some people do crazy like 40 day water fasts and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could ever right now, but it's just a, a wild idea. But basically like intermittent fasting, it's just doing it every couple of days. I like to do it at least like two to three days a week. Um, and what happens is when your body it isn't starving by any means, but it's like struggling to stay, stay alive because you're not feeding it for 12 hours or a full day or whatever it may be. Um, when it again gets food, then it's more optimized. So it's going to make the most of that food and store it properly. And, and so it's almost like hitting the reset button, button on your, like your digestive system and your immune system. Um, so that's kind of my answer to intermittent fasting, but you can do a ton of research, but there's mm -hmm. so much there. Um, but yeah, like for me, it's, it's worked well. Like I, I kind of stay alert in the morning and, uh, and then when I eat again, like it feels amazing, obviously. And then you can mm -hmm. kind of keep going. Um, I, I think whenever you eat breakfast though, like for me, it's always eating like vegetables or fruit or like a really healthy breakfast. I stay away from carbs because fine in the morning make, makes you kind of lazy and like the whole cliche of like your um, how does it go? It's, um, breakfast is like the most important meal of the day. I find that to be like the most true thing. Cause when I used to eat like just a slice of bread or, you know, like two, two pieces of toast or something in a bowl of cereal, my days would go terrible. I'd just be low on energy come two or three o'clock. I'm dead. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then when you're having fruits and vegetables, like you just, you're alert for most of the day, you know, which so, mm -hmm. For sure. And the reason I, I'm, 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 that's awesome because I mean, I've been doing intermittent fasting now for over a week. I mean, I, I tried it before, did it, but uh, now, uh, you know, Mike, a lot of high performer entrepreneurs, uh, individuals I look up to, my own coaches, um, I mean, they've been on me about intermittent fasting and, and the reasoning behind why they do it and talking about, you know, they speak about being more alert during a day. And, uh, you know, just the, how the body is taking care of itself during these, during the fasting period. So I've been doing it now and I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm sharper. Like, I just feel like I'm sharper than ever before. 
Um, and uh, yeah, continuing to do so. So I got my coffee here, my black coffee, and I got my big bottle of water right here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. So one of the questions I'd like to ask as we come to a close here is the tombstone question. And what the tombstone question is, it's well, the day we meet the maker, we're, we can't decide what's going to be written on our tombstone. Someone else is going to put something on our tombstone. What would be on your tombstone? That's a really good question. Um, I guess it kind of ties in with the whole leaving a positive impact um, piece to things. And, and I look at that through sustainability. That's one kind of way that I want to do that. Right, is through sustainability and, and doing these renovations with properties. Um, but ultimately, like you kind of look big picture, um, like there's kind of three groups of people and, and maybe they, I'm gonna get lit up in the comments section after this, but I look at it like there's people that really do leave a negative impact on the world. Mm -hmm. um, there's people that kind of leave more of a neutral impact. Um, they leave the same and then there's people that leave it in better condition. And that's the positive impact and that's the one that I wanna be in. So it's kind of a simplified answer. Um, just being in that third group, obviously, and leaving a good positive impact. But mm -hmm. um, again, that, that's doing sustainable renovations. That's doing um, coaching for people along my, along my route. So it was running a home maintenance company and then it was coaching people and mentoring them. And now it's going to be like learning from a mentor and then it's going to be mentoring people through real estate. And then it's going to be something else in 15, 20 years. So um, I think all of that overall is like leaving a good positive impact and helping people. So I guess just like, what would be written would be a, you know, left a positive impact. Mm -hmm. and I love that. And that's what I'm trying to encourage, you know, and that's why I like having that question because that question was asked to me a number of years ago and, you know, it gets closer to your why and why you're doing different things. And that's so important to understand why you're doing it because that's where the passion is going to drive you. And, you know, in real estate, we always talk about reverse engineering our goals. Where do you want to be? How many doors do you want? How many of this? And that kind of stuff. So we do a great job of doing that, but no one really reverse engineers their life. And I feel what's going to be written on a tombstone is a great way to start, re you know, reverse engineering where you want your life to be. So, and, uh, and I, I love what you said, what, what you want to have on your tombstone and what you're doing now, because they're in alignment. It says a lot right there. So well done. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. So Riley, how can people reach out to you if they want to find you? Uh, so on Facebook, uh, it's Riley Wickle and then same idea with, uh, I think it's the same handle for Instagram. And I've uh, obviously like email. I, I don't know if you're going to leave this stuff on. Yeah. I'll put in the show notes for sure. Yeah. So you have my email and uh, yeah, I also have a website. So it's www.rileywickle.com. It's just kind of under construction right not now, but it's going to be up in the next few weeks. So uh, yeah. Fantastic. And always would love to help people. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Go from there. That's awesome. Well, yeah, especially those that are, you know, listening in and, you know, that are trying to figure out how to get their first property, reach out to Riley. I mean, it's, it's all, it's people will say cash is king. And I'm not a believer of that. I believe creativity is king and that's what it's going to come down to. So definitely reach out to Riley. Riley. Thanks again, man. Appreciate thanks, this. Yeah. Thank you.